You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avtsan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul, here on the Soul to Soul every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon, live. Craig, thank you so much. <clears throat> I want to dedicate today's show to, first and foremost, today is a yard site of one of the most incredible sages in Jewish history, the Arizal, a great sage who transformed the, wor- the Jewish world in the 16th century, and in his 38 short years on this world, transformed our understanding of Jewish mysticism, took the Zohar, which until then was a book that very few could understand, and gave it some way of understanding and most of, if not all, of Jewish mysticism, the way we know today, is based on Lurianic Kabbalah, which means the Arizal, whose name was Rab Yitzchak Luria. And today is his yard site. And hundreds of thousands of Jews in Israel go to his grave in the holy city of Safed in the north, in Sfat, and pray. And I want to dedicate the show, in the, in obviously, in the, the memory of this great individual, and also as a little birthday gift to my younger sister, whose birthday is today. want to wish her happy birthday. And we find ourselves now in the nine days of mourning, exactly halfway in the fifth day of the month of Av, four days before Tisha B'Av. This year it's pushed off till Sunday, which will be on the 10th of Av. And therefore it feels very appropriate to really talk about the temple but as we always try to do on the Fabringen show, we try to make it relevant. Um, obviously, there's so much to learn and and so much to discuss. But what we try to do on the Fabringen is really take a few concepts and make it personalized to turn what can often be esoteric or just academic into something that's very personal and relatable. But before we go there, I want to start off with some melody. This is an a cappella melody. Obviously, we don't listen to music during these weeks. It's Imesh Kachech, a song about Jerusalem here by Eli Gerstner and Hevra, 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avzan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul here on Soul to Soul. As we mentioned before the little uh, song, I want to dedicate today's show to talk about the temple, the destruction of the temple, the days of mourning that we're at now, but to try to make it personalized. So let's just give some context. I often find that when we start talking about a topic without context, um, we lose so much of the appreciation of what actually the point is. The context is the following. For for almost 50% of Jewish history, the Jewish people had a temple whether it was hundreds of years of a tabernacle, which was a temporary temple, a temporary structure, rather, in the desert and the first few hundred years that they lived in Israel, or it was two solid temples, that means built out of solid material, stone, each one lasting over 400 years. And collectively, if you know the Sinai experience happened 3,300 years ago, about 40 per- 40% of our history we had a place to go to, and this place, which the second, you know, the second part of it, once the Jews moved into Israel and were able to settle down, was in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, that beautiful structure. That was the place in which 
service of God took place. It was a centralized location for Judaism. And that's why today, from all around the world, we go to the Kotel. The Kotel is the outer wall, which kind of the retainer wall that held up the mountain and the st- which then allowed the structure to be built on it, the structure of the temple. The the Kotel is not the wall of the actual temple, but rather the wall around the mountain, the retaining wall. And if you were a Jew up till 1950 years ago, 1948 years ago to be exact, three times a year minimum, often much more than that, part of your life was to go and visit the temple and watch in awe the incredible miracles and incredible revelation that took place in that physical space here on earth. And ever since the second temple has been destroyed in the year 70 Common Era, so it's exactly 1948 years ago, We've been begging and beseeching for a temple. In our prayers, if you open the Jewish prayer book, you will see an infinite amount of times, pretty much every single opportunity possible, we're asking God to return us to Jerusalem. Whether it's in the Amidah, when we stand and we pray, we're actually going to play a song just now, Return us to our city, Jerusalem. Give us back the, the, the sign of David and let us redeem us. Goel Yisrael, redeem us, redeem us. Give us back our judges. That's absolute, for lack of a better word, obsession with Jerusalem. And throughout the prayers, literally every single time you have an opportunity. So even when you read the Haftorah on a Shabbos afternoon, seemingly what does the Haftorah have to do with Jerusalem? But somehow... In the blessings after the Haftarah, we're asking God f- to send the child, the, the son of David, Magen David. We're asking for redemption over and over and over. In the benching, when we eat a meal, you just ate lunch, you're going to make a bench. And, and, uh, you, what, what do you say in benching? Hashem return us to Jerusalem. There's this obsession at the core of Judaism, that we need to be back in Jerusalem, that we need to go back home. Unlike many who feel that it's, it's a side note to Jewish religion, this idea that we believe in a messianic future, the idea that we believe that we will return to Jerusalem and we will build a temple. It's not a side note. It's the core it's at the core. It's everywhere, every single space. You're standing under the chuppah, and you're breaking a cup, right? When people are getting married, a couple's getting married, you're breaking a cup to remember the destruction of Jerusalem. In the blessings, may it be speedily in our days that we will hear the sounds of joy and laughter, the songs of, the, the, of sorry, bride and groom in the streets of Jerusalem. It's at the core. It's fundamental. And the question is why? What is this obsession with Jerusalem, this obsession with the temple? If it was merely a side note, if it was just an end note to the Jewish story, you wouldn't see it front and center of everything we say, everything we do. And yet here it is. Why? Because at the core of the Jewish faith is this idea that 
we are here to bring God's revelation to the world. That before the world was created, God was everywhere. God was everywhere. Once God created the world, he concealed himself. And it is our job, the Jewish mission, to reveal godliness here. And as long as the temples were here, there was at least one space on earth through which God's revelation was clear. If you would walk into the temple and see the miracles and see the unbelievable love and affection between God and his children, you would appreciate and you would see revelation. And ever since the second temple has been destroyed and revelation has been taken away from our eyes and now we live in an age of concealment, the Jew is obsessed with returning to revelation the Jew is obsessed with seeing again with God revealing himself within this world and no longer concealing himself this idea that we can walk in a world in which the human being is able to convince themselves that God doesn't exist how many people believe which is a funny word to say believe that God doesn't exist how is that that's only because God has concealed himself the mere fact that it's possible for us, for people, to doubt his existence is only because he had Ill, he hid himself. And for the believer, a person who believes that God is not a side note in, in, in their life, but it's everything. God is everything. There's nothing else for, other than him. When a person lives with that modus operandi, with that perspective, then there is no room for concealment. They cannot tolerate concealment. They cannot tolerate this idea that godliness is not seen. And therefore, they stand up with obsession day in, day out, at every single opportunity, and beg for the revelation. You know, in just a few weeks' time, we're going to be standing, in under eight weeks, we're going to be standing on Shul and Rosh Hashanah. And what are we going to sing? We're going to beg God again, rule over your, the entire earth. Gale, reveal yourself. This idea that we're standing over there, we're saying, God, this is abnormal. Living in a world where godliness is unrevealed is abnormal. You see, we think when we sit there having conversations, does heaven exist, does heaven not exist? That we're, that we're on the right side of, of the question. In other words, we're standing over here saying, well, oh, I don't see godliness over here. So the question is, does God really exist? Is there, a, is there an afterlife? Is there a before life? But the truth is that the, that the, the person appreciates, a person who believes in God appreciates that this is where the, the question is. The question is not whether heaven exists. The question is, how does this work? How does our world exist? How is it possible for a world to exist without godliness? The fact that everywhere else God's revealed is, of course, it's not even a question, because that's what the world is created by God. The question is not whether there's other worlds. The question is, what's going on in our world? Why is our world concealed? Why do we walk around each and every one of us with our own ego and our own self-importance convincing ourselves that the whole world surrounds us because we're blind to a deeper reality of godliness. That is the obsession and that is what we stand here during the three weeks and the nine days. And we come to God and we say, this is not normal. We cry tears of confusion and, and, and hurt. And you're like, this isn't normal. It's not normal for a world that was created by God for us to be walking around and seeing 
lack of godliness, for us to be, to see pain, for so much of the world to to be full of a darkness that is it's not normal, it's not natural for the world to be off, to be evil. It's natural for the world to be beautiful and a garden and holy and pristine. And as we mourn during these days of mourning, what we're telling God is enough. This isn't normal. Take the virus out of the system and heal this world that it becomes back into the world that it's always intended to be and it truly is God's garden. And with that thought, I would like to just play us a beautiful song called Uvnei Yerushalayim, Build Jerusalem. That prayer that we say three times a day in the Amidah, God, please rebuild Jerusalem in our time. Now, Amen. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. 34519 is our SMS line. You can be part of the conversation here on 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avzan. And today we are dedicating the show to talk about the temple. Let's make it personal. Okay, so just under 2,000 years ago, the central, the center part of Jewish life was a temple. And all eyes faced Jerusalem. And in the future, please God, when we re- rebuild the third temple, then all eyes will be towards Jerusalem again. The question is now. In these final moments when, unfortunately, we don't see the revelation. What does it mean to have a temple? Because as we mentioned, just around 50% of Jewish history, we had temples. And now, for the past almost 2,000 years, we haven't. So what did it mean now that there was no space on top of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem in which the miracles happened, in which there was a temple, in which we came to serve God with all the services that happened there in the temple. What now? And the rabbis explained that today to build a temple means to build a temple in your heart, to build a temple in your home, to build a temple in your community. In in other words, they took away this idea that there's only one temple far away in Jerusalem, and localized it. They said, yes, we pray for that one temple again, but currently the mission is to localize that concept, to start building mikdash ma'at, small temples all around. And it goes more personalized and more personalized. First of all, every community has a shul, has a, has a bekneset, a place where we pray. And we're told that that is a mikdash ma'at, a small, a miniature temple. We're told that when Mashiach comes in the, in the future, in the, when the third temple is being rebuilt, all the shuls around the world will fly up and join and actually be adjoined by physical, physically to the third temple. They're all going to become part of the wider structure of the temple because in, during the time of exile, they were serving as mikdash ma'at, small miniature temples. So that first and foremost, that's a mandate for us to, to continue nurturing and building our shuls to make sure our shuls are wonderful spaces, physically and spiritually, thinking about the fact that the shul that you go to 
whether it's every day, once, whether it's once a week, whether it's once a year, that space will actually become adjoined to the Beit HaMikdash, to the temple. It's going to be part of the wider temple structure. Just thinking about that gives a whole different appreciation of what it means to have your community, to have your shul. To make the shul beautiful, to make the shul a space that's welcoming, to make it a miniature temple, to make it the beacon of light, the light tower within every community. Because that is what a shul should be. That is what a community center should be. It should be literally the building on the mountain. That beacon, that place you come to to feel close to God, to feel nurtured, to feel loved, to feel connected, to serve, to be part of the wider Jewish community, that is what a shul is. A shul is not merely a space to come pray, to come eat, to come chat. It's a place to connect. It's a place in which we literally walk into our temple. It's our local Beit HaMikdash. It's our local space in which we connect with the infinite. Point two. Beyond that localized space, it comes even more personal. Our homes. Each and every one of us lives in a home. And whether the home has 20 bedrooms and 15 bathrooms, or whether it's just a small two-bedroom, or whether it's a one-room. That space in which we live, we have the mandate, we have the calling, and we have the opportunity to turn that space into something more than just a living space. We can turn it into a godly space. And that's really what I want to dedicate the rest of the show to, the idea of creating spaces. Spaces in, in location, in space, and spaces in time. They, you know, they, they call Shabbos an island in time. The idea of creating a space in our lives, in our homes, that is holy. That is a temple, is an incredible idea, which is anything but abstract. It's very realistic. Think about it. You're sitting around the Friday night table. And you made Kiddush, and you took the challah, and you cut the challah, and everyone sits there, you know, talking about how great the challah is. And then finally everyone settled down, and they're eating the first course. And now the conversation begins. What are you going to talk about? Option A, you look at your home and you say, hey, my home is just my home. It's my little little zone and I'll talk about whatever I want. So if it's going to be mundane, let it be mundane. If it's going to be gossip, it will be gossip. It's my little space. Or you sit there saying, hey, one second. My home, my table is a temple. We're told that a table in our home is like a mizbeach. It's like the altar and that's why... The, the law is we don't sit on a table because the table is an altar. And we respect, we don't throw food. There's tremendous amount of laws and etiquette of how we treat the spaces in our home because we appreciate that it's not just my table. There is a lot more symbolism and meaning to the space I'm sitting at than merely a piece of wood, a plank of wood on four legs. There is a tremendous amount of holiness, or rather, opportunity for holiness there. 
And with that in mind, the person sits around the table and they choose option B. And option B is let me make this meaningful. Let me take this space and create a temple. Let me take this space in location and this space in time to take the next half an hour around this table and sanctify it. We have the opportunity to sanctify time and to sanctify space. To literally take our home and turn it into a holy space. To take our time. Each and every one of us has the exact same 24 hours every single day. But what we do with that time, and whether we utilize that time and sanctify it and uplift time to more than time can ever be on its own, to turn time into a spiritual reality, into something holy and beautiful and healthy and wholesome, is what it means to build a temple in our time. You come home at night, Wednesday night or Tuesday night, the option is what is the vibe in the home going to be? Will it be mundane? Will it be silly? Or will it be meaningful? I'm not saying the home has to become a heavy home. No. A happy home, but a home built on ethics, a home built on principle, a home with boundaries, a home with respect, a home that is holy. Not everyone running around with their eyes closed, sit there and knocking their heads into walls because they're praying. That's not the definition of a holy home. A holy home is a healthy home, a wholesome home, a principled home, a peaceful home. Where husband and wife talk to each other with dignity. We're told that God is everywhere. And, you know, it's often the thing that we, we forget. You know, a husband comes home, a wife comes home, and, the, the, you know, they start bickering at each other. Nah, it doesn't happen. But in theory, without thinking for a moment, God is right here. This is his home. And God is saying, make this holy, make this space sanctified. We don't fight. We could disagree, but we don't fight in God's home. We don't curse each other out. We don't use inappropriate words. We don't defile time and space. Right now we have an hour. So you're sitting and driving in the car. It's 1.30 in the afternoon. And you have an option. Option A is fill the time with hopefully something meaningful. And then that hour became its own temple. That hour, that time, that space and time became sanctified. Or option B is, eh, whatever, an hour. We have a wonderful word that we use in a sling in our, today's generation. We're wasting time, time killing, binge watching, whatever it is, all a bunch of synonyms for the same concept. I have time to kill. How should I kill it? Which is actually a, a very ironic way of, you know, a funny word to use. I'm killing time. And yet we're, we claim to be the busiest generation in history. Why everyone's so busy. <gasps> I'm just so busy. I have no idea. I, just, I, I would love to meet you. I'm just so busy. And yet we are the generation that invented this whole concept of killing time. So how is it that the busiest generation invented time killing? Which is a side note. Back to the main point, do we sanctify our space and our time? When I walk into your home, or when you walk into my home, what do we feel? Is it a vadim home? Is it a warm 
affectionate, loving, welcoming home? Or is it stiff, judgmental, rigid, uncomfortable, cold home? The temple is a place where there's a fire. We're told that the, the fire never extinguished on top of the altar in the temple. The fire was a constant, and that's why many Jews have a custom in their shul to have a ner tamid, a candle that never goes out to commemorate that flame in the temple that never went out. A temple is a place of fire, of warmth, of passion. Is When I walk into your home, if God would walk into your home right now, if you walked into my home, what would it feel like? Homes have energies. What is the energy in your home? Is it welcoming? Is it warm? And if it isn't, what can we do to create a more welcoming, accepting, warm home? Home is where... No, yeah, I know home is where the heart is. Home is where everything happens. Home is where we raise our children. Home is where we build our marriages. Home is where we, we grow. Home is our core. It's our center. It's, it's the launching point through which we launch out to the world. Is our home a temple? Would you feel comfortable, would I feel comfortable calling our homes temples? That is a very personalized, relevant message of the nine days as we stand now with the temple, unfortunately destroyed, may it be rebuilt soon. But as the, in this moment, as the temple unfortunately is still destroyed, the mandate is create a temple. Build a temple in your home. Make your home a place that God feels comfortable in. And that God's children feel comfortable in. And God's children, I don't only mean someone else's children, your own children. How many children come into home and are uncomfortable to be in their own home? They're afraid of their parents' judgment. They're afraid of just fighting. They're afraid of an unhealthy dynamic, an unhealthy atmosphere. And these nine days scream to us. They scream to us many things. But one of the things they scream to us Make sure our homes are better and holier. Make our homes sweeter. Make our homes less judgmental. Make our homes pleasant and holy and spiritual spaces to be. Let our homes not become, not be places of bickering and anger. And where our worst selves come, you know, often people excuse their bad behavior at home. They say, well, this is where I could truly be me. Well, if the true me is this bicker, impossible person, no. More than any other space, it's our homes that have to become sanctified and beautiful, where we bring our best selves into the marriage, into the child rearing, into the way we treat our parents, into the way we treat our guests. That is the space. It's our temple. And God says, go Build a temple. V'shachanti b'seichem, and I will rest in them. If we create our homes and our spaces and our communities as temples, God will reside in them. And maybe, just maybe, that is the way to build the ultimate temple in Jerusalem. That when our private temples are wholesome, that allows our third temple and final temple and the eternal temple to achieve its ultimate wholesomeness and completeness and finally reveal itself in Jerusalem speedily in our days. Amen. 
You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avtsan. Here we are, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul, and we're talking about temples, temples in our lives. Let's take it a step more personal, more micro. There's the temple in our home and there's the temple in our heart. And the question I've been asking myself and uh, I encourage each and every one of us to ask ourselves is, how pure is my heart? If I see my heart as a space, a space in which God wants to enter and reveal himself, is my heart a welcoming space for God? When I look into my heart, what do I see? Do I see love or hate? Do I see passion or apathy? Do I see acceptance or judgmentalism? Do I see grudges or forgiveness? Etc., etc., etc. Do I see faith? Or I'm not so sure. Do I see trust? Or do I see fear? We all have the great opportunity to allow God into us, specifically it, through Torah in our brain, through the mitzvahs we do into our body, and the feelings we have into our heart. Are we downloading God into ourselves? Sorry for the, the modern slang. Are we bringing God into us? Because when we learn Torah, Tanya explains so beautifully in chapter 4 and 5 that we, we actually bring God into our minds when we study Torah. Our mind and God become one. When we forgive, when we're humble, when we're kind, when we're non-judgmental, when we're full of love, etc., etc., all those wonderful, good emotional attributes, we allow God into our heart. How healthy are our hearts? Before the break, we spoke about having a healthy home. How healthy are we as human beings? When people are around us, do they feel loved? And empathized with. And appreciated. And not judged. Are we a space in which God and God's creations feel comfortable in? Is there love in the heart? You know, so many of us are trying to get closer I think the mere fact that you might be listening right now to Chai FM is because hopefully you want to hear another piece of Torah, another piece of inspiration. We're all trying to get closer. But often the closeness means simply in, what, in our minds and in our bodies. We learn more and we do more. But how about the heart? Our temple was not destroyed because we didn't learn enough. Our temple was not destroyed because we didn't do enough. Our temple was destroyed because we didn't feel enough. We didn't have enough positive feelings. 
we did, sorry, we, we hated each other. Sinas chinam, hatred. Baseless hatred. And all hatred is baseless. There's no justified hatred. That hatred in our hearts is what destroyed the temple almost 2,000 years ago. And yes, we're growing in what we do and we're growing in what we think. But are we growing and becoming healthier, more beautiful, more spiritual hearts? Is there more love in the Jewish community now than there was 2,000 years ago? Is there more love now than there was one year ago? There definitely is more Torah learning today than there has been last year. There's definitely more mitzvahs done than there was last year. You don't have to be a professional uh, statistician to be able to see that. But the other one's a difficult one. Do we love each other more than we loved each other last year? That's what Tisha B'Av, this day that we're unfortunately have to come to again. Please God, it shouldn't have to happen. But this fast day we commemorate the destruction of the temple is coming and screaming at us and saying, 1948 years after our hatred destroyed the temple, have we learnt our lessons? Do we love each other more? Are we kinder to each other? Are we more forgiving to each other? Are we less judgmental of each other? Can we be happier for each other's success? Can we feel empathy for each other's pain? That is the question of 2,000 years screaming at us and saying, No, have you figured it out? There's a beautiful song. Maybe I'll play it next week. Once you can listen to music again. Um by A.B. Rottenberg, about the temple wall, the, the western wall, standing there and crying and begging the Jews who come visit it, don't you realize it's hatred that broke it, that destroyed me. And if you want the temple to be rebuilt, get along. Get along. We're only eight weeks away from Rosh Hashanah. And maybe there's a tremendous meaning in the fact that the calendar sets it up that these three weeks of mourning are the lead up to the month of Elul and then the month of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, etc. We're in, it, it, it was probably the most intense, not most probably, it definitely is the most intense time period in the Jewish calendar from now all the way till the end of the, the holidays, the high holidays in Tishrei. And maybe the meaning is that it's now when we work on our disunity, when we work on, on our hearts, when we cleanse our hearts a little more, it's only then that we can come and crown God as our king. It's only after we get along. On Tisha B'Av, it's the Rosh Hashanah for unity. Tisha B'Av is the high holidays for unity. That's what it is. It's the, it's the mandate, it's the screaming, it's the, the begging of the temple to us. Get Along, and only then do we follow by crowning God as our king. Because God says so many times in the Torah, I cannot come to you when you're not together. First come together, and then I come. Here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avzan wrapping up the show. 
here on 101.9 Chai FM. And I just want to finish off with a bracha, with a blessing. And a few days is my birthday, and we're told that when a person has a birthday, they use the opportunity to bless. And I want to bless each and every one of us, specifically um, all of you, those who tune in to listen to Soul to Soul here on Chai FM, but all of us. I want to bless us that we, in the next few days before Tisha B'Av, we work on ourselves, that our hearts become a little more clear, a little more pure, that more blood is flowing than hate, and that the real estate in our heart is owned by ourselves, not by other people, by grudges or hatred or other things, that we can feel positive feelings to one another that we can bring into our communities and into our families positivity there are so many people who are unfortunately bringing negativity into spaces we really don't need to be part of that it's unfortunately getting done very well but how many are bringing positive energy that they come into the home and their mandate is I want my home to be a nicer place. I want my community to be nicer. And I'm not going to do that by fighting. I'm going to do that by becoming nicer, by treating people nicer, by giving people the benefit of the doubt, by loving people a little more. Because, gosh, it's for me, I think it's my fifth year sitting here before Tisha B'Av on the Chai FM. And I just am having, like, as I speak, these flashbacks of, like, previous years. And, like, five years is a very small amount of time compared to 1,948 years of, of exile. But in a small little way, just sitting over here the fifth year in a row and talking to myself out loud, saying, Levi knew, can you become a nicer person? After five years, haven't I learned the lesson? May this be the year that we decide to rather be smart than right, to rather be loving than right, to forgive rather than being right, to be kind rather than being right. You know why? Because that's the true right. The true right thing to do is to love, to forgive to create spaces in which God comes in and he's comfortable and where we, the people, come in and are comfortable. May we build such communities. May we build such families. May we build ourselves into people where God can truly be proud of to call and say, I feel at home. Wishing you and yours a wonderful day, a meaningful week, and the blessing us all with the coming of Mashiach. May we be blessed with the redemption. May we finally witness the ultimate, most beautiful temple, the third temple in Jerusalem atop the Temple Mount, speedily in our days. Amen.